So some of you know that Mary and I have five kids, uh, the ages eight or 19 to 31 right now, which means that we went through five experiences of driver's ed and those 50-hour logging of hours, and we told our kids every single one of those hours, that's a great law, and we're gonna do all of them. And I was generally the one who would uh, be sitting in the passenger seat while a 15 and a half year old. You wanna know where some of these hairs fell out? Right in the passenger seat in that car. I tell you what, I would hold on to that you know, the little handle above the window. My one son said, Dad, it's not gonna help you if we get in an accident. <laughs> I said, I just feel better holding on to something. I don't know. And if my kids, if you're watching, I had a blast doing that with you. You are treasures to mom and me. And we, I loved every, well, I loved most of those 50 hours uh, with each one of you. We, would have, we did have a couple of fender benders, you know, that happened. Some of you were looking forward to that experience with your kids. And, uh, and so we would, you know, in a couple of minor accidents in the first few years of driving, I think we probably had at least a half a dozen or more, um, which you might say, well, what kind of a driver instructor were you? Uh, but we would, you know, I would, I, our insurance agent is a friend who attends Grace, and it's those, you know, sometimes awkward phone calls like, was it an accident? <laughs> Another shave for little, and, and so you call. I was reading recently about some actual excuses that people have put on claim forms to an insurance company. And I, I, I put down my five favorite, and maybe you've seen some of these, and if you're looking for a good excuse the next time you have an accident, one of these might suffice, all right? Here they are. Number one, these, are, these really happen. When I saw I could not avoid a collision, I stepped on the gas and crashed into the other car. <laughs> Number four, the pedestrian had no idea which way to go, so I ran him over. <laughs> Number three, the telephone pole was approaching fast. I was attempting to swerve out of its path when it struck my front end. Those telephone poles can be aggressive, can't they? Number two, I told the police I was not injured, but upon removing my hair, I found that I had a fractured skull. <laughs> and number one, I pulled away from the side of the road, glanced at my mother-in-law, and headed over the embankment. <laughs> if my mother-in-law, Jamie's watching, I love you, I would never, ever do that uh, to you. Would you agree that there's something about just being human that causes us to make excuses? I think we parents hear it from our kids. You're like, you seriously think I'm gonna believe that one? You know, and, and we just have this, I think it's part of our humanity from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. Remember what happened? He says, she made me do it. She says, the serpent made me do it. Like, we don't wanna take ownership. We want to always deflect and and not have to stand before an authority, and especially the living God. And so we make excuses. You know, can you imagine how this sounds to God? Um, God, just, I don't know if you're aware, God. Of course he's aware, but I've been really busy recently, a lot of things going on, and so I just haven't had, you know, or it's not my fault because, you know, she, he, whatever. How do you think God, I mean, really, how does God respond to stuff like that? the all-knowing, all-powerful creator who, who knows our thoughts even better than we do. But we have this tendency to make excuses to God. Maybe we don't even verbalize them, but we sort of thank them if we're like, well, I, I didn't really follow God's way there because, you know, I don't know, you know, or I, I didn't give God the 
first place in my life here because, and we end up crashing. I mean, long, in the long term, we just don't experience life the way God designed for it to be. We're gonna see that in the scripture today. How when God is not the center place in your life, life doesn't work the way it's supposed to. There's a better way, a more humble way, a way that we can experience God's blessing and and that he'll look and say, you know what, I, I wanna just open up the gates and just, how does that happen? Let's turn to the book of Haggai, H-A-G-G-A-I, and if you're thinking, I don't know that I've read that book recently, it's only two chapters. If you find the book of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, just head to the left a little bit, it's the third last book of the Old Testament, and if you're on your um, phone, you can uh, you know look up Haggai there as well. And by the way, if you didn't get uh, notes on your way in, uh, we you can pick these up, and uh, they're right on the doors as you walk. And those of you online, uh, I've heard from some of you this week. You're watching from home in Middleburg. Uh, some of you in Pennsylvania, Beulah Beach, uh, Colorado. Welcome, we love you. And you'll find these notes on our website. Just go to the homepage bulletin. And if they click the bulletin, and the last pages of our bulletin are, are these notes. Um, hundreds, by the way, in our church family have been doing the Bible in one year. In fact, I had a guy yesterday, I was talking to him, and he told me about his pancreatic cancer he was just diagnosed with, and he said, Pastor Jonathan, I can't tell you. He goes, I, I started the Bible in one year uh, with Nikki and Pippa Gumbel of Alpha. We do the Alpha course here. He said, that prepared me for the storm that my wife and I are going through right now. It's taken my roots deeper. I, I know the Lord is gonna be with me on this journey. Starts chemo this Wednesday, a new journey. I just wanna say it's so powerful, powerful to stay in God's word. And one of the reasons we're doing the minor prophets right now, not called minor because there's a, a lesser message, less important, but just simply because they're shorter. But we're going through the minor prophets right now. We're doing the last three these, this, this month of August. Because we've been reading in the Bible in one year, like, you know, about these, about from these prophets, the last 12 books of the Old Testament. And they can sometimes see a little bit, a little bit remote. You know, you're looking back, as I mentioned, 2,500 years when this was written, and, and it can feel like I'm reading someone else's mail. But God wants this to be for us today as well. Like, I want you to leave here saying, I got a message from the Lord through Haggai this morning via Pastor Jonathan. So let's just do a 90-second overview from the Bible Project on this video right here. Let's take a look. The book of the prophet Haggai. It's one of the smaller prophetic books, but crucially important in the overall story of the Hebrew Bible. So for centuries, the Hebrew prophets had been accusing Israel of breaking their covenant with God through idolatry and injustice. And they warned that God would send the great empire of Babylon to take out Jerusalem, destroy the temple, and haul off the people into exile. And it all happened in the year 587 BC. 
But that wasn't the end of the story. The prophets also believed that there was still hope and that God would one day bring back a transformed remnant of his people Israel to live in a new Jerusalem where God's presence would live in their midst. Now, when we turn to Haggai, the year is 520 BC, nearly 70 years after the exile. And the Babylonian empire has recently collapsed and the world is now ruled by the Persians. Now, they allowed the return of any exiled Israelites who wanted to go back to Jerusalem, which still lay in ruins. And so under the leadership of a high priest named Joshua and Zerubbabel, an heir from the line of David, and a group of exiles, they all returned and began to rebuild the city and their lives. Remember the story from the book of Ezra, chapters 1 to 6. So our hopes are high and the future seems very bright, but it's not actually, at least from Haggai's point of view. If you want to watch the whole video, all of those are available. Just go to Bible Project, type in the title of the book, Haggai, and you can watch. It's about a seven-minute video. But Haggai, what it goes on to say is he gives four messages. In fact, he's the only prophet who gives us a specific date of his prophecies. I put them the our calendar's corresponding dates in your notes. The first message that he gives is actually August 29th. I, I, I thought about waiting two weeks because I could have given that message on the day of, right? Two weeks from today, August 29th. But what Haggai does is he speaks to the people in their current situation. Sometimes we think of prophecy as being peering into what? Into the future, right? I'm, I'm giving a message about the future and this is gonna happen, but prophecy is more likely to be in this moment of your life, in your situation right now, in this moment, what is God calling you to do? And that's what Haggai does. He's telling the people in this moment, 520 BC, August 29th, here's what God wants you to do. And really, he could be talking to us, August 15th, 2021. What is God calling you to do? Haggai jumps right in here. What I'd like us to do is just read a couple of the verses here, and, and then we'll apply this to our lives as well. Here's what it says in verse two. In verse one, he just gives the time when he's giving this, and in verse two, he says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house, that is the temple, to be built. That was the center of their worship. In other words, if you wanted to give attention to God, you had to go to the temple. And if the temple wasn't, or one of the primary ways, and if the temple wasn't there, it was difficult to worship. And he goes, the people are saying it's not time yet for the Lord's house to be built. Then the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house for God remains a ruin? These people were in a time of transition. As you saw in that video, uh, it's 520 BC when Haggai writes, 16 years before they had come back to their land. You go, what, how did they have to come back to their land? Because 50 years before that, in 587, they had been carted off by the Babylonians into, into captivity. And they take the people, and they, they, I mean, imagine, it would have been horrific. You, the, whatever you can, the bag, you know, in a, in a bag that's on your back, the clothes that you have, you just, you take off, and, and you're in a place 50 years. A lot of your loved ones die while you're there. And, and not only did they cart you off, but they, they absolutely destroy uh, your key city back in 2 Kings chapter 25, and you'll see this verse on the screen. It says how the Babylonians swooped in. They set fire to the temple of the Lord, the royal palace, all the houses of Jerusalem, every important building they burned down and broke down the walls around Jerusalem. They carried into exile the people who remained. That was 587 B.C. Total destruction. The place is 
absolutely devastating. Well, fast forward 50 years, and the king of Persia, the Persians, took over the Babylonians who had taken over the Assyrians. So it's the Assyrians, then the Babylonians, then the Persians, and then you're going to get to the Greeks and the Romans, the Roman Empire. But the Persians, and there was a king named Cyrus, and Cyrus said, you know, I'm going to issue a decree that God's people, these Jewish people, can return to their homeland. And they did. And they go back and they find this, their city's been trashed. And so they go, and what would you do? They, they start to rebuild their homes, and they rebuild the walls for security around the city, and, and they start to, you know, get their jobs established, and all kinds of upheaval, but now it's been 16 years, and God sends a message to his people through Haggai, and God says, you know, you've all built your homes, and you're reestablishing the economy, and you're getting your kids to school, and, and what about your relationship with me? God felt sort of kicked to the curb, put on the shelf. In a stressful time, they had left God at the curb. And I can imagine the excuses that the people made. They're like, God, I mean, you gotta understand. I mean, we've got kids to take care of and aging parents and you know, trying to get our jobs in place. And God, someday, some, someday we're gonna give you attention. I'm gonna, I'm gonna build my relationship with some, but God, right now, I, I, I don't have time to be doing my relationship with you, you know. And the excuses we make to God sound probably like the guy who goes, the telephone was approaching me rapidly and I couldn't avoid it, so I, right? Just go, and God's going, so what you're saying is that you have time for everything that's important to you, but I don't fit into that equation, that your relationship with me is not priority enough where you spend time with me and acknowledge me and follow me. I wonder how you and I do when life gets crazy. I'll just speak for myself right now. Um, Mary and I mentioned have five kids, three girls, two boys. Our three girls in these three weeks are all moving over 3,000 miles away from their current home. Two of them out of the country. Uh, all three of them will live way further away from us than they do right now. Two sons continuing in Colorado and facing their own challenges. Mary and I face the ongoing challenges as well as joys of being a pastoral couple and some of the heartache that people in our church family face, like the guy I mentioned yesterday, pancreatic cancer and others, that just all kinds of stuff going on. In the midst of that, I have to make a decision that how, when I feel overwhelmed, where is my relationship with Jesus going to fit? Because my tendency, I'll just be honest with you, is I'm an activist. Put your head down, Jonathan, and just plow ahead and make things happen. And I wonder if there are times that God feels kicked to the curb in the life even of a pastor. What about you? I wonder what transition maybe you're in right now. Maybe there's some kind of something happened with your workplace that there's things have changed. Maybe you've gone through a financial crisis 
Some of you are students and you have the bummer that the summer is about to end unless you're really eager to go back to school. If that's you, kudos to you. But you might be a parent sending those kids off and it's tough if they're going away from home or maybe you've got boomerang kids who are coming back, you know. Uh, could be that you have a relationship that's on the bubble or maybe there's a health concern for you or someone you love. There can be all kinds of things that life just sort of heats up and, and there doesn't seem to be months for most of us where we go, you know, it's, life is amazing. There's no challenging pressures that I'm facing, and how does our relationship with Jesus fit into those times? That's Haggai's concern. Really, it's God's concern through Haggai, and really the question for every Christ follower is this, and really every human is in the midst of transition and pressure and challenge, and what's my highest priority? When the road ahead is, is unclear and foggy, and what do I set my sights on? What is God most looking for? Well, he, he tells us through Haggai. He tells them something that we can sort of apply the principle to our own lives. And here's what I would say it is. When you're in transition mode, if you're in your notes, you'll see this. It says, prioritize obedience to God. When you're in the middle of a focus, keep your focus on the Lord. When you're in the middle of a crisis, keep your focus on the Lord. In, in the midst of a major transition, obey your way through. When all kinds of demands scream for your attention, make obedience your number one priority. That's God's heart. Because we love him, that we say, God, I am going to keep you right at the center of my life. No matter what comes my way, God, I want you to be the one who's the focus of my life. Listen to how the Lord says it to these people here in, in verse five of chapter one. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much. He's telling them, this is what happens when you don't keep me as the focus. You've planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but never have you fill, your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house, God's house, so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty? Because of my house, which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with his own house. Let me just pause right there. They were busy with their own stuff. They had time for everything except for God. Now, is it wrong to take care of your family or to have a, a place of shelter, to have your job, et cetera? But no, but when God is pushed to the periphery, to the curb of my life, and I start going, well, God, you gotta understand, I mean, it's just a really crazy time in my life right now, and the reason that I don't, I don't read your word or I don't ever talk to you in prayer, that I, I haven't been with your people, or, you know, you're, is, is God just, you know what God says to them? It's a little phrase he repeats a couple times. Beginning of verse five, give careful thought to your ways. He's really saying, is, is it working for you the way you're doing it right now? If God is on the periphery of your life, is, it work, is, that, is that working for you? Give careful thought to your ways, he repeats in verse seven. If you're looking for a verse to memorize in this book, I like short ones to memorize, a six words is good. In fact, would you say that aloud with me? Let's say that, those six words together. You ready? 
Give careful thought to your ways. In other words, think through, take inventory how you're living. Is the Lord at the center of your life? Are there any changes that God would say, okay, I, for God to be at the center of your life, what would that look like? For you to walk more in obedience to him. He says, give careful thought to your ways. Of well, the people in Haggai's day, they listen. They got the message. And there are a few courageous individuals, it says, down uh, toward verse 12, and it says this. It says that there were these people who led others to obey the voice of the Lord their God. You know, I, I wonder, I, I read that and I go, God, would you make us those kind of people? Maybe in your home, if you've got other people in your home that, that do you set an example that people go, you know what, beginning of the day before they plow into their email, they're listening to God's voice through the Bible. Maybe they're playing it on the, you know, through whatever, Alexa or something. Play me, you know, Psalm chapter 96. And, and uh, whatever it is that you put God first, that you, you take time to just talk to God and, and you say, yeah, he's the focus of my life. When you do that, powerful example for the people around you. You go, what is it, what do I do? Like, if I want God to be right at the center of my life, you know what he, I, I would say it starts with, you see in your notes there, it says this. When we're not sure about God's will, start here. God's will is for you to be holy, to stay away from all sin. More than anything else, that's what God wants for you and for me. He says that to obey is better than to what? To sacrifice. In other words, if I'm like, God, I gave a lot of time to help out over here, he's going, are you walking in obedience to me? But God, I... Are you walking in obedience to me? Because the, the best expression of your love for Jesus, he says in John chapter 14, if you love me, I want you to follow my commands. I want you to obey me. More than he wants our homes to be in great shape, he would tell those people in us, he goes, I, I want you to follow me. More than your kids being in good schools, or I, I want you to follow me. He wants us to follow him and to obey him as a sign of our love for him. So to personalize this, let me ask you this question. Let me ask me this question. Where is the Lord calling us to the next level of obedience? Is there anything in your life right now that you go, yeah, I'm not really walking in God's way in that part of my life. I'm not, uh, I'm not where he wants me to be. What if we had the prayer of the psalmist in Psalm 40, verse eight? I desire to do your will, oh my God. Empower me by your spirit to make it so. You know, when we do that, it is the pathway to experience all that God wants for you. There's a line in your notes that says this. If you want to be in a blessable posture, make God your first priority. When we talk about a blessable posture, we're talking about putting yourself in a place where God can just pour out blessing on your life. Because what Haggai and so many other Bible writers make clear is this. If we want to experience God's best, it's only gonna come when, when God is at the center. Here's how the Lord says it through Haggai. In verse nine, he talks about the results of having God on the periphery, disobeying him. He says, you expected much, but it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why? Because God wasn't their first priority. The things that his people were building, they crumbled. Friends, listen to this. Disobedience makes any success short-lived in my life. The surest way to turn off the faucet of God's blessing is to, is to say, God, I'm gonna do it my way instead of your way. 
On the other hand, the results of walking in obedience to God to say, God, I know this is what your word says, and I'm gonna follow you, even if it's hard. You begin to experience what God has for you. Life begins to work the way that he designed it. Just a couple of examples here from Haggai. In chapter two, verse four, there's the promise of God's immediate help and strength. Let me just read a, a couple of those, uh, the lines here in these in verses four and five of chapter two. He says to Zerubbabel, be strong. I am with you. Do not fear. He's saying, if you will walk with me, if you'll keep me at the center of your life, I will help you and strengthen you. You don't have to fear. You can know God's constant presence. Second thing is that God wants to do something greater through your life. Uh, he makes another promise a few verses later in verse nine. He says, the glory of this present house, this new temple will be greater than the Glory of the former house, the temple says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace. How would this new temple that they were rebuilding have greater glory? Your notes says this, this new temple may not have been as splendid as the former temple, gold and all the rest, but eventually the glory will be greater because the Messiah himself, Jesus, would enter it. So we could say this, when you live your life under God's leadership, when you put Jesus right at the center of your life, there's new potential for God to do something greater than we could have ever imagined possible in spite of our failures and our regrets. That's how gracious God is. He's go, like, just try me. Put your excuses aside and trust my heart. If you'll follow my ways in every area, I'll do something for you, something new. One more result of prioritizing obedience, we experience the kindness of God. He says in chapter two, verse 19, he says, from this day on, I will bless you. And you'll, if you read chapter two, you'll just see how he lays that out. Can I say, do you believe that God's heart is to, is to bless you? You know that Jesus said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give what? Good gifts to those who ask him. We're gonna look at Malachi in a couple of weeks. And Malachi, God says through Malachi, the prophet, he says, if you'll just trust me, you'll put me first. He's talking about the resources. If you'll trust me with your financial resources, he says, watch what I'll do. I'm gonna open up the gates of heaven and I'm going to pour out more blessings on you than you could have ever imagined. But until we trust God like that, if we don't put him at the center, the gates stay what? The gates stay shut. God says, would you just trust me? Allow me to be at the center of your life. Focus on me and watch what I'll do something greater. I'll show my kindness to you. You know, I wonder if Jesus had Haggai's prophecy in mind when he tells us in Matthew chapter six, verse 33, he says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, follow me, and God will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow. Friends, I want to ask you today, have you put yourself in a blessable place? Can you honestly say, if you take inventory to say, oh man, Jesus is right at the center of my life. I'm following him. When it's my way, what I want, or his way, I take his way, even when it's hard. Maybe you're not there. What if you just were done with excuses, ridiculous excuses, maybe you think some good excuses, but if you said, Jesus, 
I, I would have to agree that life doesn't work the way it's supposed to when you're on the periphery of my life. Jesus, I want you to be right at the center of my life. I wanna seek you above all else. Can I just tell you today, you won't regret it. The message through Haggai was this, that if the people would stop just paying attention to their own houses and their jobs and the busyness of life and quit making excuses and say, God, we, we wanna worship you. We wanna follow you, we wanna obey you. Haggai says, you know what, life's gonna work better. And it did, and it will, and you'll never regret it. Friends, that's what he wants for us today. So I wonder if we could just tell him now, God, I'm all in. Would you pray with me and let's just tell him that together? Lord Jesus, today we want to say that we agree that life is best lived with you at the center. And, and Lord Jesus, we, we know that too often we make excuses and there are things that we say and we rationalize why that's not the case. And today we're just saying, Lord, we're done with our excuses. We want you to be right at the center of our lives. Lord, I pray that in my own life, that amid all the crazy stuff Mary and I are going through right now, that Lord Jesus, you would be our focus I would love you above everything else. And that, Lord, that we would always take time for you. So, Jesus, we invite you by your Holy Spirit to strip away the excuses, to make us the followers you want us to be. Lord Jesus, would you strengthen us in this journey, we ask. In your powerful name we pray. And all who want it to happen said, amen.